Hello and welcome to the first episode of Linklater's Asia Bite Size Antitrust 2022. I'm Marcus Pollard and I head our antitrust and foreign investment team here in Hong Kong. This is our second year of our tour across Asia. For those of you who listened, who listened to us last year, many thanks for your continued curiosity and interest. But for those who listened to us for the first time, welcome, and we will aim to provide you with the most up-to-date insight into the key antitrust issues across the region. Today, I am joined by my colleagues Andrew Chung, who is a partner in our dispute resolution team in Hong Kong, and my colleague Kathleen Goy. The past year in Hong Kong competition law enforcement has been intense and covers a wide range of conduct and competition concerns. So today, we're going to look at three main topics. Firstly, we'll look at the most recent enforcement trends in Hong Kong. Second, we'll discuss the commitments policy and considerations involved when considering whether to cooperate with the Hong Kong Competition Commission. And finally, we'll try to do some crystal ball gazing on likely future developments. Andrew and Kath, do you want to kick off by giving us some of the headlines from Hong Kong? Thanks for the introduction, Marcus. Uh, so in the past year, we've seen the Competition Commission bring four cartel cases to the Competition Tribunal involving alleged bid rigging and price fixing. I think it's worth noting that unlike cases brought by the, the Commission in the early days that focused on small to medium-sized enterprises, the cases brought in the past year involve much larger organisations and wider scale alleged conduct. So for example, the HKCC has estimated that the total value of air conditioning installation and maintenance tenders involved in uh, an alleged bid rigging cartel bought in June this year was around 2 billion Hong Kong dollars. Uh, the Commission for the first time made public uh, that it had referred a case to the police relating to obstruction of a dawn raid. Uh, in that particular case, the companies apparently tried to delete certain electronic evidence when the Commission investigators were conducting their search. And this is obviously a good reminder that despite COVID, investigations uh, being conducted by the Commission are still very active. And Andrew, that's right. It's also worth mentioning to our audience that apart from the tribunal cases, the Commission has been engaged in, in public surveys in respect of their investigations into non-cartel conduct. In two instances, the Commission had asked the public to provide their input to assess the extent of the anti-competitive conduct as well as the impact on the market and consumers. So what are these two um, cases? The first case relates to the alleged exclusivity arrangement between food delivery platforms and their partner restaurants. The second case relates to certain warranty restrictions imposed by car distributors. In this case, the Commission was concerned that these restrictions may affect competition and particularly may have an impact on independent car repair workshops that compete with the authorized repair centers. Marcus, what is your observation on this trend? Well, I think there are two interesting points there. Firstly, the Commission had not previously used public surveys as a means to conduct their investigations. In fact, most of the Commission's investigations remain confidential until they decide on a formal enforcement outcome. One potential reason for the Commission to conduct an overt investigation was perhaps the non-cartel nature of the conduct and the Commission may see the benefits of having a wide range of public views to support its case. Secondly, these are investigations relating to vertical agreements, i.e. agreements involving non-competitors, and i.e. between market players at a different level of the supply chain. So, Marcus, just a question for you on that. Um, since the implementation of the competition ordinance, the focus has very much been on cartel conduct between competitors 
Uh, do these high-profile vertical investigations in the past year indicate that there's been a change in enforcement focus at the Commission? Well, well definitely, um, Andrew. We would caution that restrictions in vertical agreements may now require a more in-depth assessment of any potential anti-competitive effects prior to them being implemented. That said, we believe that most vertical agreements are, are relatively benign and unlikely to raise any competition concerns. The elephant in the room, though, remains the topic of resale price maintenance. The Commission has stated its strong stance against minimum or fixed resale prices in the first conduct rule guideline, and that, in their view, that such conduct would amount to serious anti-competitive conduct. And in fact, relatively breaking news, the Commission only in September has taken its first ever case of resale price maintenance to the competition tribunal. Naturally, it is, that case is at a very early stage of, of litigation, um, and it is also unclear whether the Commission's view will ultimately be endorsed by the tribunal. Um, at this stage, we will have to wait and see. Apart from R the RBM case that Marcus just mentioned, other vertical investigations seems to be moving towards commitments decisions. So what we meant by commitment decision is where the commission would agree to cease investigation after accepting the commitments offered by the parties. In the past few years, we have seen the commission increasingly use alternative enforcement tools in their investigations to resolve cases more efficiently. This November last year, the commission formalized its approach by publishing its commitment policy. This policy sets out the commission's consideration in deciding whether a commitment is an appropriate remedy, as well as the procedures involved in the process. Andrew, do you see any pros and cons of resolving cases using the commitments route? Uh, there's certainly a lot of pros and cons that need to be considered, uh, Kath. If parties subject to an investigation agree to offer commitments to the Commission to end an investigation, this will obviously save time and cost, both for the Commission and for the, the party itself. But it's important to note that although it's not strictly mandatory in all cases, the Commission's practice is to ask for a commitment from the party um, to admit the contravention of the competition ordinance. Uh, in other words, um, they would typically not accept uh, a commitment on a no admission basis. And so while a commitment doesn't uh, necessarily lead to a pecuniary penalty, it's important to consider any collateral consequences of such an admission. And for example, an admission of liability may result in significant reputational harm. Uh, victims of anti-competitive conduct can commence follow-on actions for civil damages. Uh, there may be exposure in other jurisdictions or other business lines of the party. Um, and there may also be potential impacts on third-party contracts or regulatory implications for uh, regulated or listed entities. Um, it's also necessary to consider the costs of complying with a commitment. Uh, typically, the Commission may ask parties to implement a detailed and thorough competition compliance review program, and in some cases has asked parties to appoint a monitoring trustee. Uh, in reality, the decision-making process for companies when deciding whether to cooperate with the Commission is complex, particularly when the case involves less clear-cut non-cartel cases. There are just so many variants involved. Uh, in addition to the level of pecuniary penalties that may be imposed by the Tribunal, and other factors that I just mentioned, companies also need to consider the potential risk of enforcement action against their parent entities, as well as individual employees. Well, exactly so, and I think in recent cases, the Commission 
has brought action against the parent entities of the companies, even in scenarios where the parents have no direct involvement in the alleged anti-competitive conduct. And this is on the basis of the European concept of single economic unit, where parent company may be held jointly and severally liable for the anti-competitive conduct of entities within that single economic unit. Now, this is a peculiar concept that applies specifically uh, to competition law, and it remains to be tested in ongoing trials uh, in the competition tribunal. Andrew just mentioned enforcement action against individual employees. From what we have seen, the Commission targets not only senior management, but also mid or junior level employees who were directly involved in the alleged anti-competitive conduct. For example, senior engineers who allegedly engaged in bid rigging were named in the Commission's cartel case brought in June this year. That, that's correct, and employees therefore also risk facing significant fines if they are involved in any anti-competitive conduct. As you may recall, there is a statutory cap on fines imposed on companies. However, there is no statutory cap on fines uh, to be imposed on individuals. Unfortunately, since our discussion in the podcast series last year, there's not been any significant development in terms of the level of fines imposed on employees, nor on the methodology that the tribunal will use when calculating fines to be imposed on those individuals. I think we have covered a fair amount of key updates in Hong Kong. Before we wrap up, Andrew and Marcus, can you give the audience your thoughts on potential future developments in Hong Kong? The coming years will be an interesting time for the Hong Kong competition law regime. Some of these cases are crucial to establish precedents for novel issues that will apply to all businesses. For example, the tribunal will have the opportunity to decide on the application of the second conduct rule in the first, and so far only, abuse of substantial market power case. Uh, as some of you may know, the criminal standard of proof applies in comp competition law cases in Hong Kong, and it will be interesting to see its application in a, an abuse case, which will likely rely significantly on economic evidence. And I think we anticipate the Commission will continue its active and in ambitious enforcement actions. Um, it will likely focus its enforcement efforts on livelihood sectors such as public tendering and consumer markets, and in particular the digital economy. For example, we understand the Commission is currently conducting a market study on competition landscape in online retail markets in Hong Kong. Now, there's been ongoing engagement with uh, businesses that are involved in or affected by online retail, including a public survey conducted by the Commission earlier this year. So definitely watch this space for the progress of that market study. Thank you, Andrew and Marcus. If you have any questions about Hong Kong competition law, Andrew, Marcus, and myself will be happy to discuss further, so please feel free to reach out to us. In the next episode, we'll be providing you with an update on Indian competition law and the, Com the Competition Commission of India, which has quickly established itself to be an ambitious and tough regulator. Thanks for listening and goodbye.